since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And together we are the Bix, and we are joined today by uh, a wonderful panel of um, local Edmonton-based uh, festival people. They are the managing director and artistic director of the Free Will Shakespeare Festival. Uh, Nicola, David, David, would you introduce yourselves? Oh, I'll go first. <laughs> My name is Nicola Tan, <laughs> and I'm the managing director at uh, Free Will Shakespeare Festival. And I'm uh, David Horak, and I'm the Artistic Director at the Free Will Shakespeare Festival in Edmonton. Wonderful. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you guys. We've mentioned you so many times on our podcast um, because we've been longtime festival goers. I think uh, Aiden and I, we were just saying 2004, 2003 was like the first time that we actually went to the festival together. And uh, and we've gone every year, and it's like uh, one of our the, the, almost – the highlight of every summer we've we can think of aside from this past one where there was no festival unfortunately um so we're we're just thrilled to uh to be able to talk to you both and uh to get your ideas on what goes into producing a big scale theater festival like a shakespeare theater festival so yeah so uh, why don't we start off by you guys you guys just giving us a little bit more background on on uh the free will festival itself and uh your your particular involvement how, how you came to join the festival and get underway um maybe nicola we can we can start with you yeah for sure so um i have been with free will um for the past five years um i stepped in as managing director in uh september of 2019 um and just overall uh it came um i kind of stumbled upon free will unfortunately i was a terrible Shakespeare fan. I love Shakespeare, but I actually had never been to the festival prior to working for it. Mm. Um, and so it was quite an experience jumping on, um, doing my internship there straight out of school. Um, and so I just have fallen in love with the festival and it's been a really beautiful working environment to be in, but also just great experience, um, on my part. So yeah, that's kind of my background with free will. Yeah, uh, I've I've been a fan of the Free Will Shakespeare Festival for for quite a while. I um, I went through the uh, University of Alberta's BFA acting program. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, twenty some years ago, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, the company uh, I, I knew that the company had sort of grown out of that uh, program. Um, over 30 years ago, uh, it was a bunch of students who started the festival and um, created the festival as a way to kind of find some work through through the summer and work on things that they were studying in school. So I had known about the Free Will Shakespeare Festival for a long time and then auditioned and auditioned and auditioned <laughs> and never got in as an actor because I was... Um, 
uh, studying to be an actor. And, uh, uh, you know, every couple of years they do these auditions and I, I, I auditioned and auditioned and I, and it was probably almost 20 years um, of auditioning until I, I was uh, got into the company. For a, for a summer, I, I was in the company. I think it was 2000, yeah, I'm going to lie and say 13. Okay. Maybe 14, something like that. Um, uh, play, it was uh, in Midsummer Night's Dream and, and King Lear was the okay. year. And uh, then didn't get hired back the next year. And that's just okay. sort of the way it works um, for, for whatever reason. Uh, and then I was asked a couple of years after that to uh, come in and direct uh, one of the shows. And, I, and the first show I directed was Comedy of Errors um, a couple of years ago. And last year I directed uh, Winter's Tale. And, okay. uh, and then I was just recently hired as the artistic director. So it's been a... Um, uh, I've always been fascinated by working on Shakespeare. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I loved being an actor and, and also uh, directing it. And, and then when the opportunity came to uh, apply for the, the job, I was, um, you know, nervous, but happy to take the, the job, especially since the, the festival was canceled this year. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, COVID kind of took a toll on, on everything. And, and that was one of the casualties, which is quite sad, but uh, um, we'll talk about that in a bit. I think we'll stay with the the happier stuff. So I, that's interesting to me that uh, I didn't know that it had been started by BFA students at the U of A. That's, that was news to me. That's really cool. So yeah. it was literally just students who got together and like put on this festival because they, they wanted to. Yeah. I, I have kind of a funny tangent Tangential story uh, okay. about that. I, I was in. Uh, I grew up in Calgary and uh, mm-hmm. went to Mount Royal. Um, okay. And, and that theater program is now uh, has disappeared. But when I was when I was going through that program, they had a, an idea to start a Shakespeare summer Shakespeare festival, and uh, I auditioned and I and I got into that festival. And part of the company was made up of uh, Mount Royal students, college students, and the other half were uh, U of A, BFA students that came down from Edmonton to uh, work in Calgary for the, for the summer. And this predates the Free Will Shakespeare Festival, and a number of those students who uh, I worked with that summer looked around and went, why does Calgary have this Shakespeare? Why? How are they starting this Shakespeare Festival? And, and up in Edmonton, we don't have anything like it. So it actually... Um, Sparked an idea with uh, these students um, uh, and, and colleagues, and some the, many of them I still know, um, to uh, start a, a Shakespeare festival here. So the, the one in Calgary it sort of predates the Edmonton one by a, by a year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it, while I it, it's taken me a while to um, work at. Free Will Shakespeare Festival. I, I feel like I have a funny little connection to the Free Will Shakespeare Festival f- through Calgary. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of there from the beginning, then, really, <laughs> <laughs> the pre-beginning. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's, that's awesome. Um, so we we want we want the the point of this episode really 
is to have you guys your your take all your knowledge and dump it onto us because we really don't know uh, at all what the process looks like uh, for putting on uh, a festival and and shows of this kind of size and scope and with the audience and and everything that that you've built up over the the, the festival has built up over the years. Um, so we wanted to just ask you a series of questions about um, the planning and the process uh, for putting on these shows. Um, so we're going to start at the very beginning, I guess, even before the beginning. Uh, wh- when do you start planning for the summer festival? Maybe, maybe Nicola, maybe we can start with you on your end. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, it's kind of, uh, I think the best way to describe it is everything kind of goes dark the end of July. And mm-hmm. then usually we take a week or two off because we've done so much overtime. And then when we come in, usually the first week of August, I walk up to our calendar that's on our wall and I immediately wipe it clean and we start usually right then. Um, And so most of the time, um, over the last couple of years, um, sometimes our shows aren't chosen until uh, usually October. Um, But these last couple of years, we've been a little bit up to date with that. So usually we know what shows we're moving forward with um, in September. And so from there, it's kind of just jumping in. And so it's a combination of um, working not only with the artistic director, but also um, our production team, which we have the pleasure of partnering with the Edmonton Opera here. Um, and their production manager, um, comes on as our production guy and kind of handles all of that. Um, and then, so we kind of just jump right into it and everything kind of gets moving. Our budgets are approved in October for the coming festival. And, um, this year, like to give a context to this year, this year we had an audition year. So, um, Dave and um, our other director, Nancy McAleer, she um, and Dave met and they did our um, auditions and we had casted end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually the build happens in April and rehearsals happen in May. And then we're down at the park in the middle of June. Um and then within a week of us moving down to the park, the festival has started. Wow. So that's like a brief bit. But um, yeah, it's quite, it just moves quite quickly. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And how do you choose the plays? Like what is the process that goes into choosing the plays and who chooses them? So normally um, it's our artistic director. Okay. Um, in recent years, um, just as the the climate in um, like Shakespeare has changed. I guess if that makes sense, we um, we recognize that we did. We had a year a couple of years ago where we did two shows that weren't very well known, okay. um, and it really it was the only thing that we could kind of tell that affected the revenue stream that year. Okay. Um, usually, if it's like a big show like Macbeth or Hamlet or these things, um, Romeo and Juliet, like we do have a lot of people come out, whether it's raining or not, because June and July are 
<laughs> Lord knows in Edmonton. Right. Um, you can watch a tornado land just out in Red Deer near Leduc, and it's sunny by the time we're ready to go at 7.30. So right. <laughs> never ceases to amaze me. But um, so we kind of decided um, kind of last year just during the festival and as we were talking through things that um, to really try to kind of choose one like big show so Mm -hmm. this year we're doing Macbeth um kind of the well-known ones Mm -hmm. um and it was just kind of some of the conversations that were thrown around in board meetings um and with our marketing team uh just because they were like how do we sell to not so well-known shows um so yeah, just uh, kind of conversations about that, um, and that's kind of how. So now with Dave on board, um, moving forward for next year, he kind of gets to um, play around and choose the shows for, um, I guess it would be 2022 now, because we're just relaunching 2020, 2020's performances or shows. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it goes through Dave, and then Dave presents it um, to our board from there, and then gets approval that way i can't wait i can't <laughs> wait to choose the plays they've always been given yeah. to me so um and and my my interest is actually the plays that are lesser known mm-hmm. okay um there is a list of because the festival's been around for so long sure. that you won't you know you don't want to do hamlet um, every year, or sure. you know, you want to give us, you want to give some time in between some of those big shows. But some some plays haven't been done by the festival at all, yeah. and I'm really interested in trying to do. And this is what I I said to the board when I was being interviewed: is I'm really interested in doing Pericles. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. interested in these the the weird ones and the offbeat and the ones that have some questions and and they're. Yeah. Um, and they're they're maybe they're definitely lesser known and have some uh, dramaturgical uh, things that you have to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in in those plays. So it has to be a balance between mm-hmm. um, uh, drawing in an audience who's maybe not as familiar, but oh, they recognize Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. uh, or and and also an audience that has seen Midsummer Night's Dream. Sure. Mm-hmm all the time, you know, every couple of years. So, um, uh, so it's always, it is a, it is a balance, but I also, in in this day and age also want to find, look at the plays with, um, the lens of contemporary lens and to look at these plays. Um, what do they say to us right now? And the Mm -hmm. world is changing so, so quickly and and in such interesting ways Mm -hmm. that, um, there's a, 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 I think, a really interesting discussion to be had on the plays that everybody knows, but also these lesser-known plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's really uh, it's it's a good kind of say because our our next kind of question, and you kind of both already answered this, but after the the play is selected, um, what what what's your next step? Because it's like, well, okay, we've selected the plays, and now there's. <laughs> You know, on, on the artistic side, there's there's all sorts of range of questions of, you know, how are you going to adapt it and how are you going to think about it with those modern sensibilities? And then on the production side, I can't even imagine, um, like, how do, you, how do you how do you kind of choose 
um, what what goes next in that thing, or, or is everything kind of happening at the same time? Like uh, Nicola, you you kind of said like you do casting at this point, and mm-hmm. and then the the next stage was sets and all that stuff. Um, but it, but is the planning for that all kind of going on as soon as the the plays are decided, or is it a little? Yes. So normally, like using this year, kind of just like as like a like a math a bit. Um, Dave was. Uh, the plays were chosen and then we had to ask Dave, I believe during the festival, was it not Dave? I could be wrong. Um, to direct. Um, and then um, I believe um, we didn't have an artistic director in 20 and uh, for part of 2019. So in lieu of that, we had our artistic associates on our board choose both directors okay. um, for this year's, this year's plays um and so then kind of working with them um in this like interim period of us not having an ad um they helped kind of the structure of um doing auditions so we're an equity house um (laughs) we, we work with equity performers and so we um have to do auditions every two years right and so this was an audition year so um dave like I said, Dave and Nancy um, kind of did auditions and um, we're kind of, we have 15 actors that do two shows. So the actors have to be chosen both um, in partnership with Dave and Nancy. Um, and so, yeah, they get to kind of decide and how those roles all play out, right. um, which I'm sure Dave could talk more to. Yeah, so this year was a little bit different because there wasn't uh, an artistic director. Um, in previous years, I uh, was guided a bit more by by the other by the artistic director who was also directing one of the one of the other plays. Um, and this year, uh, because we because it was also an, aud- an audition year. Um, we, Nancy and I, and Nancy and I go way back. Um, so we had a, a, a good line of communication as far as, but the two plays were very different, Macbeth and Much Ado about mm-hmm. nothing. Um, so you try and find a cast that can do, can do, can do both right. plays. And um, also, and it's a balance. So you don't want to have someone who's playing Lady Macbeth also play Beatrice and two right. big giant roles. Yeah. Um, so we kind of try and find these this 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 balance. Um, the discussion about uh, design and and it comes quite early. Uh, so when I'm given when I'm given a, a Shakespeare play, the first thing I start doing is is go okay. Well, why do I want to? do this play um what is it what does it say what is, what do i want to say through this play what does what what can i imagine shakespeare wanting to say and see how they mm-hmm. those things can all match up and then talking to the designers uh the set and costume designers especially lighting design comes much later usually and because we're outdoors the lighting design happens does that we do actually do a lighting design but it happens much later mm-hmm. but uh, set and costumes and sound happen pretty pretty early in the process and sometimes uh shapes 
part of my ideas of where I might set the play as well, as well as mm-hmm. looking at the cast um, and and the people that come to audition and, and then the, the, finally the casting that uh, we land on also mm-hmm. sometimes shapes where I might want to put this um, put this play or, or speak about this play. When I did Comedy of Errors, I knew I really wanted to play with gender and identity mm. and, and flipping things around. Yeah. Um, and so the discussion about casting was quite interesting because the other play was Hamlet, was okay. it? Yeah, it was. I think it was, yeah. Um, so I wanted a lot of, uh, I wanted a, a, a gender uh, balanced cast. Mm-hmm. And that because I was really looking at the play through a lens of, of, of gender bending and, and playing around with, with identity and, and that kind of roles. And so I could do that with, with comedy of errors, but Hamlet's a little bit trickier. So, sure. um, so that kind of discussion is also really sort of fun, fun to have. Um, but we were able to get a, a pretty close, I think it was almost 50, 50 or, or pretty close to it. Cool. Yeah. Um, and and that, so that kind of leads to uh, another question that I had, um, which Nicola, you kind of touched on a little bit about the um, the way that I guess Shakespeare is being received these days. And David, you've also mentioned about how to choose how you adapt a play. How do you decide if you're going to set it in a different time period, or if you're going to, you know, do that kind of um, playing around with gender? Like, is it it, you, maybe you've already answered most of it, but but I'm always really fascinated when I when I go to a Shakespeare play. And a few years ago, the it was like the Summer of Love theme, and it was set in the '60s. And and you see a lot that are set in the '40s or '30s. And and those are the really interesting things because Shakespeare does seem to be very adaptable to other time periods. And and you're right, it does kind of depend on what you want to say about those things, how they're reflected today. So I guess maybe just talk about that, the, the choices and ad- uh, decisions that go into adapting um, a play for a different time period. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, I, I think people will approach it in many different, in, in many different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it always comes down to your own taste and your own aesthetic and your mm-hmm. own interests. Um, somebody answer the phone. <laughs> um I, uh, with, with, uh, there's something about outdoor Shakespeare, um, in particular that I think, uh, because it's outside and because it's really open to the public and we, we perform in a, an amphitheater that can hold up to a thousand people. Right. And there are some nights on a beautiful night and it's Midsummer Night's Dream and you can pack that place yeah. and it's, it's pretty marvelous. Um, I'm very conscious of who am I doing this um, play four and mm-hmm. with the free will Shakespeare festival in that big amphitheater and it's outdoors and it's family. I think about wanting to reach the broadest um, group of people. Mm-hmm. Part of it comes down to budget. It's, it would be really hard and expensive to do it in Elizabethan costumes and do it the True. way, you know, it would be very expensive to do it that way. Um, so free will is always, always, found ways in in a very contemporary way and to make Shakespeare um, uh, reach uh, the widest audience possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
so that's one thing that is always on on the table and and it does it does also come down to to budget as well what can you know yeah it's i can get a lot of i can set all the plays in the 1980s and get my costumes from value village um (laughs) and also one thing that's been developed at free will is um it's a big company of 15 to 16 actors it's um and we'd like to do these big plays um we could certainly do I've done small scale Shakespeare with four actors or five actors. Or, right. Um, but it's developed into uh, a company of, of that, that really takes up that big amphitheater. And mm-hmm. so the sets are large, um, the costumes, we want the costumes to kind of pop. So I think about if I'm doing a comedy, I really want to fill the stage probably in some mm-hmm in some way it's a big stage we perform right. we we rehearse at the um edmonton opera who builds their sets to fit on the jubilee auditorium which okay. is uh, which is a really big yeah. space um and so that's the scale of it is also something i think about of um i want to fill that stage so what period what kind of costumes i personally find if i stick to a really historical um, uh, uh, era, I often get trapped in Shakespeare. Mm. Um, if I set Merchant of Venice in um, Germany in the 1930s, right. which which I've which I've seen, and and it, there's lots about that that works really well. I find myself get I get really stuck in trying to make it historically correct okay and the politics correct right and and then shakespeare starts to yell at me a little bit <laughs> um uh it can be done mm-hmm. and i've you know it's there's some great examples of that but for me personally i find that very difficult um okay. so i tend to lean towards a much more postmodern kind of way of okay. looking at the eras yeah and I'm you mentioned, going on and on. No, no, that's great. This is awesome. You, you mentioned going to Value Village, and I just had a, just a quick question then regarding costumes. Yeah. Is that is that like do you make all the costumes, or are the are the costumes all made, or do you go to Value Village to like source stuff? And is it, it a dumb it, question? It, it, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it, it depends. No. We we will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've had a, a, a long-standing relationship with uh, Theater Garage, oh, okay. who yeah. um, uh, also builds a lot of the costumes and houses some of our our stock. Okay. Um, but yeah, it would it it'll really depend on the designer. Yeah. Uh, it's you know the designers are uh, that we work with. Uh, uh, the ones that I've worked with are always amazing and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's quite fascinating that they, what they can find at value village and how mm-hmm. they can turn that into a 1950s, whatever, sure. or, yeah. you know, so, um, but yes, they'll beg, borrow and steal. Um, <laughs> there are uh, other theater companies in town, like the Citadel and, mm-hmm. and the opera that we will rent from or buy costumes right. from. Um, and yeah, we'll also be making things as well. Um, that does, come down to budget so one show might demand uh it is it will be a very heavy costume show and the other Mm -hmm. show might not be as heavy of a costume show so there'll be some negotiation there as well that's 
that's really great because that actually leads to my next kind of question, which is um, how much do things kind of flex and change in terms of like, uh, Nicola, you said you kind of set the budgets in the October timeframe mm-hmm. um, and then the shows aren't until July and you're going through all this uh, lengthy process in the middle. Do, do, do those budgets kind of wind up becoming more guidelines than, <laughs> than hard, hard and fast rules for specific parts of it? Or is it, do you guys manage to stick pretty closely to, to what you set out? We try really hard to stick <laughs> to those budgets. We do. We really do. Um, luckily, our production manager, Clayton, with the Edmonton Opera is a miracle worker. And some of the stuff that he pulls off is absolutely amazing. So usually it's like, here's your chunk of money. And he goes, okay, we're not going <laughs> over this. And he's very, very good about that. Um, for the most part, honestly, like the budget is pretty is pretty set. Um, our contract fees are all done in April um, and they know at that point kind of what their rental like budgets are and moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, and so we're, we're pretty good. It's always entertaining when it comes because, because the budget gets approved in October and then everything kind of starts in the ball starts kind of rolling. Um, Usually when some of them see their budgets, they're like, is there anything else? <laughs> and you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe like over here, over there. So you kind of make it work. But for the most part, the last couple of years, we honestly have been right on budget. Um, we've done um, really well. Like we've, there were a few years we we just balanced perfectly. So it's been, um, Freeville's been really um lucky in that way that our budgets have stuck pretty, pretty solidly throughout the years. That's, that's, that's good news. Um. It's it's (laughs) nice to hear, like, I mean, as outsiders, it's something we've always kind of assumed, but it's nice to hear that there's a lot of cooperation in the Edmonton theater scene between, you know, you mentioned the Citadel and you partner with Edmonton Opera and there's lots of places where you can like pull from and there's lots Mm -hmm. of ideas that are generated and, um, I don't know. That's just really heartwarming to hear because it's always yeah. something that we've assumed and that we hear about this great theater scene in Edmonton and, and here we, we see it in action. That's really cool. No, for sure. And we, we as a festival get the balance of both. So right. because we're a theater, most of our technical crew, our production crew, obviously all of our actors come from the theater side, but from the mm. festival side, we are just as well supported. We get all of our tents from other festivals in the city. We share That's tables, awesome. we share chairs, we, have a list of kind of this is what everyone has. And yeah. luckily, most of the time we don't overlap. So we are fortunate that we get it on both sides. And there's quite a big pool for us to pull from. Um, yeah. In that yeah. sense. Too. It's that's, that's so cool. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, I, had, I had a similar question. Sorry, before we move on, Lindsay, yeah. I know you want to move no, on. Uh, but for David, for a similar kind of question about like the, the rehearsal process. Um, how much do you find that things will shift on a Shakespeare production in particular when you get to that dress rehearsal stage and you realize, Oh no, this, this thing that I had in mind, isn't going to work or um, this, this line is really bugging me or what, whatever the process is. Is that, is it, would you say it's more than um, your kind of non-Shakespearean production? Is it about the same? Does it vary a lot? Well, my experience so far with free will is that, I, as a director, have to come in extraordinarily prepared mm. because we are, we only have about two weeks 
for each oh, wow. show. Right. Um, they they have in the past rehearsed in in rep, meaning that they'll rehearse one play on Tuesday and then Wednesday they rehearse the other play and they okay. go back and forth. Um, so rehearsals, but when you break it down, it's about two weeks, which is a um, not a lot of time yeah. for such a big yeah. for such big productions. Um, so I have to come in quite prepared, uh, meaning that there's not a ton of room for kind of a lot of exploration or um, trying out some crazy idea that I have mm-hmm. that I'm not sure if it's going to work. Um, and in other rehearsal processes where I have much more time, I can I can kind of do that, um, have a notion or, or somebody else in the in, in the company has an idea. I'd like to try this. It's like, ah, we don't have the time to mm-hmm. play around. So right. everybody comes in really prepared, including the actors often mm-hmm. there. They may not be off book, but they're, they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. And if they're working on a big uh, part, they're going to have uh, – quite a made quite a few decisions mm-hmm. i try and keep things open and and you know there may be something that will shift we might decide you know there might be some technical thing that doesn't work like uh oh, i can't oh there was a a door that didn't quite work in okay. in when i was working on comedy of errors it wasn't quite working so uh the choice is usually to cut and move okay. on okay that funny thing didn't work we're moving on <laughs> that's that hilarious idea that i have is cut and we're gonna change it mm-hmm. but it's a time limit that just is it's so fast um uh, two weeks is not a lot of time yeah. no that really isn't that actually that's surprising that it always seems so polished and pulled together and you do that in two weeks that's insane well i guess yeah. not really because you're doing it over a long time but you're only rehearsing it for two weeks but that's still that's crazy yeah. That's going to change the way I watch these plays going forward. hundred percent. Like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's incredible. No, they're the, the, the casts and, and, you know, the company that we always get are, are, and, th- and that's why it's also developed into a, a professional theater mm, company is mm-hmm. that we um, really need to rely on, on people who really know their stuff and they come in yeah. really prepared and, and ready to go. Yeah. Um, can I, I just have one question quickly about um, the audition process. Now, you mentioned every two years you have auditions. It's an audition year. So in the other years, are you using the same cast, like the same uh, group of actors to, to fill those roles? Is that what that means? Or it, it, is, is there flex in there too? There's yeah, there's definitely there's definitely flex. Okay. Um, the two years is just mandated by Canadian Actors Equity because okay. we're up. Uh, a festival um and we produce two plays in a, in a year so we've we have this requirement we 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 will audition uh every year and okay. we try and uh especially i'm i'm really interested in in uh trying to see as many new people uh as as possible sure um we have a, a relationship with the training institutions in town okay. and we hire a couple of uh student actors every year mm-hmm. and we'll so we'll audition um at the at the universities uh every year okay. and i'm always looking for uh, new people that come into town or 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 maybe somebody who hasn't been working at the at the festival i 
you know, as I mentioned before, it took me almost 20 years before I was hired by free will. Right. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in also, um, seeing new people and, sure. and, mm-hmm. and having some, uh, some new faces on, on that stage. That's great. So, okay. The, the production has happened. You've, you've, you've got the sets up, you've got your dress rehearsals, everything is down. It's opening night. What are your roles from opening night onward? What, what, where do you guys fit into once the play is, is ready to go? What are you guys up to? Uh, I can go first. So <laughs> my role is quite intense. So it's um, basically usually during the festival. Um, my day normally starts at like one-ish. Wow. And then I'm there normally till closing at 11. Yeah. Um, and it's everything from putting out fires um, when it comes to anything patron services related. Okay. Um, uh, dealing with running basically all of Top of Hill um, mm-hmm. staff, which during the festival um, we have about six or seven front of house staff, um, anything from our volunteer coordinators, site person, um, special events. It's quite extensive. And then, um, I am also signing all the checks. So (laughs) usually every week there's always, um, everyone's handing in invoices. Obviously we need to pay, make sure all of our actors are paid and happy, um, and helping kind of with anything, anything and everything. It's kind of, um, just it's the beauty of working in the festival world and working I think just in theater in general and in these small non-for-profits is that your scope of work is so large I'm your HR person I could also be your first aid person I'm the one who's counting the money at the end of the night maybe the one depositing it maybe the one restocking the fridges or cleaning the bathrooms. I have chased a number of bees out of bathrooms. Um, caught a number of people having sex in bathrooms. Oh my goodness. You get a variety of things. Um, people who are frustrated with how things are being portrayed on the stage. Um, and just walking through how to order tickets online. So it honestly, from my perspective, it's a very large and comprehensive um, portfolio of stuff that happens during the festival. Totally. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to this, uh, these things that are happening in the bathrooms. Really <laughs> <laughs> a different kind of festival happening there. And you yeah. think it would happen in the loved ones, but no, and all the tragedies, that's usually when you'll find them. Wow. Everything seems to amaze us. Yeah. <laughs> King Lear, secret aphrodisiac. Legit. It's so weird. Oh. <laughs> what about you, David? What, what's, what's your run of role as, as the play's ongoing? Well, up to this year, I've always been a freelance director. Mm. And so my job actually after opening night is done. Right. And um, uh, while if I can, I like to go back and, and watch the show and just yeah. keep an eye on it. And, and, um, but sometimes I, I haven't been able to. Um, previous summers, I've directed the show, and then the next day or two, I'm, I'm off doing another gig. Right. Um, so in the in the in future, me will be looking at 
the, what the previous artistic director has done is has been there every night, mm-hmm. um, uh, keeping an eye on the show, but mm-hmm. also uh, helping uh, the managing director, helping Nicola, and and uh, also um, keeping an eye on on what's going on with the the cast, probably being a bit of an intermediary between right. the front of house and mm-hmm. and this and what's going on on stage. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had to do that mm-hmm. uh, until, uh, uh, and, and well, hopefully next year. Well, yes. definitely next year when yes, definitely. We're, we're back. Yes. Yeah, good to hear. Uh, so we wanted to move on to some more uh, monetary questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, before we actually started recording, we were kind of already picking a few of these albums with Nicola. But yeah, um, yeah but we're very interested in seeing like how, how this, how the money side operates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, from the, at, maybe at the highest level is like a general breakdown. Um, could you give us an idea of like uh, how much of your revenue comes from things like grants and from ticket sales and from the, you know, festival activities that go on um, and any other sorts of uh, revenue streams that might come up that you might not immediately assume exist for, for a, a festival like this? Yeah, for sure. So um, basically our budgets usually sit around anywhere between like for the last couple of years between 600,000 and 650,000 is kind of where the budget has kind of sat. Um, and so within that, um, what you'll see is I would say probably oh, 40, 45% of that um, is just from festival revenue. So Within that, you're looking at ticket sales, you're looking at um, anything sold at concession, um, special events, um, hosted, um, and kind of any like on-site rentals. Um, so that money would probably, I, I would assume would be about 40%. You can maybe almost say 50. Um, and then the next big section would be our public granting sector. Um, and so the breakdown is, um, we get money from Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Edmonton Arts Council. Um, oh my gosh, they all have these acronyms. I'm trying to remember. Edmonton Community Foundation will give us project-specific grants to usually buy specific stuff for the festival, um, and then we usually apply for a bunch of Canada Summer Jobs positions, um, and then we just recently got on the Canada Heritage track. Um, which was huge for us because they're very much more focused on the festival and um, kind of helping artists um, with their craft. And then every two years we have a casino. So um, I think this year our budget looks slightly, um, slightly more in this specific sector because we didn't use our casino funding this year. Um, So I would say about 50% of it is then also, um, the other 50% is public sector. And then there's probably, you could top it off with maybe 10, 15% is anything from corporate donations, private donations, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. Lindsay and I were just texting <laughs> off camera here being like 650,000, that's it. Because like, honestly, you guys do amazing stuff every year. We we were both like, oh, it's got to be at least a couple million or something yeah, like that. No. But Wow. Yeah, wow, very impressive. impressive. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's good to know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's good to know where the um, where the funds are going and stuff. And yeah. I, I mean, maybe on the other side, uh, 
what, what's the breakdown of, of costs at a high, super high level? It doesn't have to be mm. uh, too detailed or anything, but like, is it mostly um, supplies? Is it labor? Is it like the actors? Like, where's, where's your money wind up going? So then when, when we do it, the expense side, I would say um, 50%, pretty, pretty spot on, is um, a combination of our director's fees, um, any set design, costume, um, all of our director's fees, kind of like the bulk of the artistic fees um, for the whole like build and move forward is about 50% of that budget. Um, and the rest honestly goes into marketing um, and communications as well as there's obviously like our salaries, our admin fees. And then um, there is a, a, a good chunk um, that's just like for facility expenses. So even though we're in um, a venue that is um, pretty self-contained, there is a cost associated um, through the city of Edmonton for renting that and then yeah. renting everything that comes um, down to the site for yeah. the whole run. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow up to those, mm-hmm. uh, which of the revenue streams or which of the expenses keeps you up at night the most? <laughs> probably um sometimes it sounds so terrible hi it's honestly probably like our artistic fees Mm -hmm. um they are the biggest I think for just when I think about it like um free will as a whole we hire professional theater um performers and when I think when you look at the the cost breakdown of our ticket prices what you'll see is is that we are a professional theater house, but our ticket prices are curated so that Shakespeare can be accessible for all. Right. Um, to go and see some of the same actors that have performed on our stages at the Citadel, you're looking at $80 for a ticket. And right. in our case, you're looking at 35 yeah. um, And that doesn't include um, our pay what you wills, our mm-hmm. student Sundays, which are $5 on Sundays for them to come. Um, and it brings our average ticket price. So when we do like the breakdown of how many people came, our revenue stream, I think it works out to being, we make about, I think averagely about $17 a ticket is what it breaks okay. down to wow. when you include, um, a regular ticket sold as well as in pay what you wills. And so I look at that number and I know our performances are absolutely fantastic. We've um, had Sterling awards for them and, and all this stuff. And I, I, it's one of those numbers that it seems so crazy to me that 50% of our budget goes to just artistic fees, but obviously we need them to have a festival. Sure. Um, but it, it puts it into perspective for ticket prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year or two years ago, we upped our ticket prices. So they used to be $30 and we upped them to $5 to, encompass credit card fees and a service charge yeah um and so i think at the end of the day free will walked away with like a 40 cent increase and i have never heard people complain the way they did (laughs) for five dollars and we tried to explain that this was covering this like this is why um because most people come with cash um And so it's just something that we stress with sponsors and donors and in granting things is that I want to make sure that 
anyone and everyone can come and mm-hmm. see Shakespeare. And we've had some beautiful stories of just people who literally had a dollar fifty on a Tuesday and they got to enjoy Shakespeare in the park. And I mm-hmm. that's why I think free will has done so well the last little bit is it started out with this past the hat mentality and it's continued continued since mm-hmm. yeah that is that is crazy to think about um and i i definitely feel for you guys because it, it is one of the premier festivals of uh, in a city full of festivals mm-hmm. but um but to keep that mandate of you know, making it accessible and also trying to make money, like that's, that's a really challenging thing to do. So I guess uh, on the flip side of that, so you've got, you know, the money and everything, but you've also got to choose plays that are going to draw people in. And David, you mentioned earlier that um, you like to do some of the more obscure plays. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess the, the, the challenge going forward is to find that balance, right, between doing a really well known play and then doing one that is maybe a little bit more, uh, I don't know, not, not as well known that, that might get a different kind of crowd in. So um, my question to you would be, how do you market that? How do you market a, like a problem play, like Winter's Tale, you mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. you did a couple of years ago. So how do you, how do you come about with, with um, drawing people in for a play that they might not know? Um, Do you rely on like the more popular play to bring people in or, or how, how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, I mean, I think Edmonton audiences are 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 pretty sophisticated. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, a there's a lot of theater in this city, and yeah. we are right before the Fringe right. Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't like to underestimate the the audiences. Um, I, I you mentioned Winter's Tale, the and that's that's a tricky play that not everybody knows it's Mm -hmm. not the most obscure but um i when i was looking at that play uh and and looking at the i tried to highlight the fact that there were problems in it Mm -hmm. that it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a weird blend of styles (laughs) it goes from a court drama to a pastoral comedy to a a kind of a weird magical something at the end um (laughs) it's it's kind of wild mm-hmm. and so i i highlighted that and in the marketing of it i leaned on uh, a bunch of characters that were would draw people in there was people dressed as sheep <laughs> and right. made uh, the sheep really interesting and the sheep uh, have no lines in Shakespeare's play, but right. I uh, made them look hilarious and fun and engaging. And uh, in my production, the sheep um, had a had a bit of a cameo. So mm-hmm. uh, that's one way to hook people in is 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 make it look interesting. And mm-hmm. and I think if as long as you're as long as the play is good. Right. People are going to. I think people are going to come, and that might um, uh, be naive of me, but I think it's. Uh, I've I've noticed that if you if you make if you do a really good production mm-hmm. of of Winter's Tale or Pericles or one of the lesser known plays, the an audience will will come and 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 yeah. find it, and and then also be really delighted because they don't know it. 
And Mm -hmm. so there's a different kind of expectation. If you go see Hamlet, you Mm -hmm. might come in with an idea of what it's, what it's about Mm -hmm. Um, or Macbeth or something, but with a play that you don't know, you are, you have a real opportunity to, to be really surprised. And I like, I really like that challenge. And I think the beauty of us is that normally we're at the end of most theaters seasons. Sure. So when it comes to the summer, there's usually not at the time, like a lot to, obviously there's festivals to take in, but in the seat in the theater world, we kind of get, we get that. And so like, it's true exactly what Dave said. Like, I think the year that we did um, Merchant of Venice and Merry Wives of Windsor, mm-hmm. um, we had tons of people who wanted Merchant of Venice, but I was on countless phone calls attempting to explain what Merry Wives of Windsor was to them <laughs> because they just didn't know it. But honestly, to date, it is by far one of my favorite plays we've done. I thought oh, it was great. absolutely amazing. So it was one of those things where, like, I'm pretty sure I just sold a guy on coming just by saying you need to come and see it because it's worth <laughs> your time and he came and I actually met him and he said that he would be a forever patron because oh, wow. of that and so I think it's true what Dave said I think we can entice people with these lesser shows because they are lesser known but if mm-hmm. they're done so well um you'll you'll pull people in or people will come on a pay with you all night just to pay mm-hmm. five bucks to see it and that's that's the beauty of what we get to do yeah um, and, and yeah, I guess, uh, you do get to straddle both worlds. Like you said earlier, being theater and festival and where you are in the calendar year does kind of work to your benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting also to hear you say that, um, Edmonton audiences are, are sophisticated. I mean, I think we have an international reputation for being Edmonton, but I, I would disagree <laughs> with that. Seeing a lot of these productions and the, the crowds that come in, I mean, um, like Aiden and I, we've been going for 17, 18 years, and there's always little kids, and there's, you know, we've seen our university professors there, and there's old couples, and I mean, it's really a, a wide cross section of people that come into these plays, and presumably they're there because it's Shakespeare and and it's you know a cultural touchstone for so many. But you also do all this other festival um, stuff, Nicola. You mentioned that before we started recording. Um, mm-hmm. This this there's this whole festival atmosphere. You've got puppet shows and you've got theme nights now, and and that's really grown up in the last, I don't know, five, six years or so, maybe maybe 10 years, I don't know, um, where this stuff has become much more prominent. Um, so it really does take on, it is a theater festival. It's, it's wonderful. Um, how do you decide what you're going to bring in to make that festival happen? It's, um, from our perspective, like, I guess, like, from Top of Hill and how we do it, it's, um, the heart behind it when it started uh, five, six years ago was that um, let's get the person who doesn't like Shakespeare mm-hmm. to come and be here and let's hook them and get them in a seat. Right. And so um, I know the first couple of years we did it, date nights were super entertaining because you yeah. knew for a fact that the wives had where the girlfriends had booked the ticket <laughs> and their significant other was dreading what was coming at eight o'clock. Um, and so uh, you got to see this, but we've had so many repeats um, just like patrons who they've put date nights on their calendars or they, like I said before, 
um, they know beer is going to be there and Edmonton has this really amazing beer scene. So they're going to come right. specifically for that and partake in something that they normally wouldn't put on their calendar. Yeah. And so it's kind of sort of like that. We've had some trial and errors. The first year we did a wine tasting, it was horrible. We all looked at oh, each no. other and we were like, how do we make this better? Um, so you kind of sit back and you reimagine how do we make it so that you can get through this many wines before the show starts. And mm-hmm. we've grown them from there. We do, we have done in the past. My guess is they'll look very different this coming year. But mm. um, we do massive table dinners. Um, right. The plan this year was supposed to do a whole Scottish-themed um, dinner oh, for yeah. Macbeth and all that stuff and so you kind of play off the themes of the shows as much as we can um to bring that and to to make it added and like I said we have our gates open at quarter after seven um Mm -hmm. and so we have this captive audience for 45 minutes so let's bring in the buskers those students or those performers who wouldn't normally get a chance at like fringe or any of the other big festivals in the city um, to come and perform. We've had, there's a ukulele troupe that comes in. Uh They come every year. They do, they do a little thing. And um, the puppet shows have just been a beautiful added bonus um, to what we do. And so Mm -hmm. it was kind of just, let's make it, let's make our site come alive for the 45 minutes before the show. And let's, let's, entice people to come and to engage in free will because the longer they're there the more they're going to buy a drink the more they're going to walk around and many of them don't even ever come to the park um other than for the festival or they'll be like hey i was here during heritage fest and i didn't realize you had this massive tent in the middle um (laughs) and so yeah that's kind of the whole heart behind the festival aspect of it all Mm -hmm. Related to that, um, I mean that that's that's kind of like the positive mm-hmm. side of it. Is, is there are there specific challenges to operating a, a Shakespeare themed festival uh, that that are kind of maybe unique and they, they might be shared by Shakespeare festivals around the world? Maybe um, like is there anything that that pose that particular problem? I think one thing that I noticed when I first. Um, came in. So before I started with Freewell, I did um, some fun development over at Fringe um, and some of their summer positions. Um, And so, but that was the festival side of things. And so it's this really amazing collaborative environment to get the whole Fringe up and going. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to Freewell, the culture walking in was very much like, and it, and it, it would be like this in, I think at any theater is that you have your front of house and then you have your back of house. So where all the actors are and all of those people are, they don't really interact. I think in a normal, as much as they do down at the festival, we're in each other's spaces I have. And so oftentimes there was this tension, I think at the beginning um, between front of house and up of house and how the money was allocated and who could say no to what and I know for the first, I think like two years, I like didn't walk into the green room at all because that's where the performers were. If I had to go down there, it was like frightening. And I had friends who were in the show who were performers in it, but still, I can't can't go. Um, (laughs) And so just kind of like that whole um, 
like relationship and how we function um, was just something that over the past couple of years has really shifted. And it's so much more collaborative. Like mm. everyone knows each other's names. We do a big cast dinner at the beginning where right. the cast interacts with our staff because they will run into them. A lot of, as you know, coming, you'll see that the actors do enter from from the back. Yes. So they'll, they'll run into volunteers and they'll run into us popping in tents and if it's raining, like all of this yeah. stuff. And so there's that aspect of it that um, was a challenge at the beginning, but it's been a really beautiful process to see it kind of shift to something that is just such a beautiful interaction of both front and back house working together. Cool. Uh, David, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Like, is there anything specific to the Shakespeare world that, that poses a unique kind of challenge um, to you in terms of like connecting with the audience, maybe as you're, as you're putting the show together, is there anything like that, that, that comes to mind as well? Well, it's something I've been thinking a lot since uh, um, through the, through the summer and, and since the festival was canceled is, is just to, and uh, and everyone's looking at this now, but especially when it comes to the classical repertoire, mm-hmm. is why do it? Why mm. do this mm-hmm. old white dead white guys mm-hmm. plays? And what's the va- what is the value? I really believe that there's lots of value there, sure. and actors love working on the those plays because they're complex and difficult, and there's a an amazing challenge with the language and poetry. And um, so, so I think there's lots of, but you have to kind of keep reifying what it is mm-hmm. and why, why do it and, and mm-hmm. what, and very specifically, we're a very much a local festival. We mm-hmm. hire locally, it's mm-hmm. local actors, local designers, local directors. Um, what does it say to us in Edmonton? Right. Why are we, why are we bothering doing it now? Um, so it's a big kind of conversation that I'm having in my, in my head mostly, cause I haven't left my basement for a couple of months, <laughs> but, um, I think it's something that everybody is, is thinking about mm-hmm. and, um, kind of trying to, trying to work, work through. One of the things that I spoke to the board when I was hired is, is to, um, at, keep adding to the festival atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So there may be at in in during my tenure, one of the things I'd like to do is to have um, uh, academics come in and, and talk about the plays, mm-hmm. and to yeah. have uh, have some conversations either before or after these plays, um, and put put the plays in context, and also to expand the festival from two plays and. I, this hopefully won't give Nicola a, a heart attack, but to to expand the festival from two plays to to four mm-hmm, plays, wow. and two of the plays being contemporary, what I'm calling response plays, okay. um, that so we would do Macbeth and, and you know uh, our version of Macbeth, and then have a local playwright write a play that's responding to a theme or a character oh, okay. or something about that play um, and put it in a, and look, really look at that through a, through a, 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 a local contemporary lens. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, who knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. with our funding and, and what we can do, mm-hmm. but that is something that I'm, 
I'm also looking at is it kind of keep expanding the idea of the festival, opening it up to, to more points of view. And um, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we can come up with. I've, uh, yeah, I thought we'll be back next year and we'll take it from there. <laughs> that's great. That's actually really interesting because that's something that as, as contemporary um, Shakespearean I don't know, Aiden, do we call ourselves scholars? I don't know. No, with a podcast? Not. No, not at all. Never. But <laughs> but engaging with Shakespeare on a modern level is is really challenging. And I think a lot of, you know, I'm a teacher. So as a teacher teaching Shakespeare also mm-hmm. in a modern context, you know, those, you're right. Those are the big questions. Having, having that as part of a festival would be really, I think, valuable. And I hope that's something yeah. that you get to do because that's really, that's really cool. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, I guess to kind of bring things back to the modern day, uh, you know, COVID has really interrupted everything in the entertainment scene. Um, what challenges do live theaters in general face and how can audiences like, like us, how can we help bring things back to, to where they need to be? I know it's a big question, but if you have any ideas. <laughs> yeah, well, for I mean, I've done a, this summer. I did a, a, a couple of live uh, okay. events. Um, I did, uh, helped direct and, and facilitate a, a, a dance show that we and we did a very small yeah. uh, audience uh, at the Fringe. Okay. And also this summer. I took the puppet show aspect from from the festival and took some of those ideas and and songs and we built a, a, a traveling show mm-hmm. um, and and toured around to people's backyards oh, and, cool. and, um, and parks and things like that. Uh, so I've experimented a little bit in this COVID world mm-hmm. with live performance and and I think one of the benefits of our festival is that we're outside in a great big huge Mm -hmm. space so um i i think there's lots of challenges in in just putting the shows together and rehearsing in Mm -hmm. in 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 the two projects that i worked on this summer we cohorted and and tested tested our temperatures and we did all we had all these protocols in place what happens if someone gets sick and Mm -hmm. all that to keep everybody safe um but the audience is we have to really be thinking about how do we keep it safe for everybody so if Mm -hmm. next year we're still in this situation i think it's i think it's absolutely possible for us to be to be back and to be performing outside yeah but we'll have to really put in place so that people feel comfortable Mm -hmm. um like you know when you walk into a restaurant and you know that they haven't really thought about it and you're like <laughs> ah, I'm not going to stay here right. or um or you walk into the grocery store and 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 you go oh no they don't they haven't figured out there's no lines on the floor sure. where do people stand what what are the rules here so we'll have to spend some time making sure that we keep everybody really safe yeah. and are really transparent and then i think people will start to come start to come back Mm -hmm. because people are just the little few performances that i uh did this summer man people want to see stuff live yeah yep yeah yeah there's only so much netflix you can really handle (laughs) 
in a I'm, yeah. time. Right? I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, and I'm done. I'm I, and I don't. I mean, there's been so much great theater that you can watch online, sure. mm-hmm. but yeah. it just isn't the same. Not at all. Yeah. 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 And uh, people were like grateful that they were watching a live. Yeah performance yeah. and to be in the theater or uh, with with the free will we were all doing all outdoor stuff but mm-hmm. people really just ate it up they were so grateful mm-hmm. um, that uh, something was happening live mm-hmm. yeah uh, what about you Nicola is there anything else you'd want to add on that on that point about how yeah. we can help out yeah no I think like from Dave kind of said it perfectly. The beauty of free will is that we're outside um, and that the space and the capacity of the amphitheater is quite large. So if it means limiting tickets per evening, just so that everyone feels safe, I've been on a number of webinars over the last couple of months um, in partnership with a a grant that we get. um, Mm -hmm. And they've just talked about how, People are still very nervous. Like if Mm. you've watched a show where there's a crowd of people, like they did a survey and people are still quite anxious. So what does that look like for us as a festival to make sure that our patrons feel safe, that our volunteers feel safe? Um, And how do you structure all of that in a facility that isn't ours? Um, Right. Obviously it's rented through the city, so they will have their um, thing. And I just... Uh, today was looking at AHS website to see kind of how things are shifting. Um, and it's still very much that outside gatherings can, I think, I think it said 250. Right. Um, so knowing that in, in, in true honesty, we're prepping for a festival that right now, according to what AHS has put out, cannot happen. Right. Um, is kind of stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I have stared and woken up frantically in the middle of the night about our budget going mm. like I was sitting with our our treasurer a couple of days ago and she looked at me and she's like will there be a festival next year and I was like I really hope so right um but it only time will kind of tell how everything plays out and um we have the luxury of being after many of the theaters in Edmonton run mm-hmm. so we get to learn from them and partner with them and it will look different for sure but I am fully confident that in the venue and in the space um, that we are in that we can still pull off something safely um, and still magical because that's what that space is it honestly like we had um, a couple come from New York uh, a couple of years ago and they just were in awe of really? that venue and the way that yeah. it's set up. And we have the privilege of, of bringing it to life. Um, and it's, it, I, I think we've taken it, or at least I know I've taken it for granted, especially this right. year when we didn't have it. And so i um, excited to see kind of everything that happens, but ready for all of the new Alberta health regulations coming in. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, we are we are really excited to see you guys come back. And whenever that is, we will be there 100%. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and I'm sure that there are a lot of other Edmontonians and Albertans mm-hmm. and Canadians who um, who are regular patrons of not just 
you know, festivals in their area, but festivals in other areas here in Edmonton um, who will also return. Um, because like you said, David, we're all desperate for human contact again. And I think that yeah. um, it'll be great when you guys do return. So we're looking forward to that 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, regular listeners to our show will know that we kind of end every episode with uh, a segment we call Ancient Bickerings, where Aiden and I kind of take opposite sides of a, a question that comes up in the course of our discussion about the play or whatever we're talking about that episode. Um, when we do interviews, we kind of tend to just throw a question at our guests and see what you come up with. And the question that we're going to ask you guys today, if you don't mind, is uh, the same one we asked our actors panel a few months ago. Um, If you could meet Shakespeare today, what question would you ask him if you could ask him anything? And that's a tough Mm. question. Again, I know, (laughs) take a minute if you need to, to think about Mm. it. Wow. Lindsay, what was your answer last time? I, th- I know you had a good one. I Oh my gosh, I don't even remember what I would... I have so many questions that I would want to ask Shakespeare, but I think <laughs> I think the one that, is always, um, that has always troubled me is related to the authorship question is just like, how, how did right. you get to write all this stuff when you didn't travel and you didn't speak the languages and, and just mm-hmm. like put all those questions to rest, I guess, for me. But, um, but yeah, everybody has, has a different a different inn uh, where they, where they fit with the, the Shakespeare mythos, I guess. So. Yeah. The, the authorship question is, <laughs> is really interesting. Mm. My, uh, my, my father, who was a high school English teacher okay. uh, was convinced Shakespeare didn't write. The really? Book, so. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so I'm, I'm fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would like to get a, a definitive answer from from Shakespeare on second best bed, really? <laughs> like, why would did you put that in your will? What does that really mean? Right. What did you what What did you mean yeah. by that? Yeah. Um, that's a curious one. I, I I'd like to hear it from his point of view. Yeah. What that was what that was about. I think you and many English students, English students in, a, in an English class would very much like to know that because it's always brought up and there's always mm-hmm. someone who's like, well, yeah, like why, why the second best bed? <laughs> it's uh, that's a good question. I would love to know the answer to that one for sure. <laughs> that is my, my question for the record is also biographical. I want to know what was happening during his lost years, which uh. is when they didn't know what he was doing for like, he went to school and then he got married and then he showed up in London like 12 years later and nobody really knows what happened. So I just want to like a, I'd have like, you know, have a drink with him and just have him tell me all about those 12 years. <laughs> it might be the most boring 12 years of his life, but you know, it'd be fine. It'd just be interesting to hear. It. He was so. doing a lot of gardening. He was reading, you know, it's nothing exciting. Yeah, this is a match theory. So I don't think that's right. But, uh, <laughs> so. yeah. Nicola, what do you think? I it's always funny because I think when it comes to Shakespeare, everyone has their favorites. And I've always wondered mm. like what his favorite was because he wrote right. so many and they're all like, and in, in such like, I feel like they've transcended time. Like you, mm. we went, like they're just great now just as much as they were back then. And so yeah. you can just be like, if you could only choose one, which one would it be? Because I know which one it is for me. And I feel like everyone has like one that they could maybe see it every year and it would still be just as amazing. Yeah. But I think it'd be interesting to know what his favorite was. 
What's yeah. your What's your favorite, Nicola? It's actually Macbeth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. great. I... Oh, no, I'm really hoping you guys come back <laughs> full force in the festival this yes. year. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hated reading when I was in <laughs> junior high, and mm-hmm. my English teacher gave me Macbeth as a graphic novel, and oh, it okay. forever changed how I viewed Macbeth. I think it's the weirdly enough, I think it's absolutely entertaining how it's all writing on one line in the whole play. Yeah. And I think it's so funny. I laugh every time Macduff like says that he was untimely ripped from his mother's womb. And yeah. then the whole plot of everything, yeah. like all of a sudden it shifts and you're just like, that's all it took? One line? Yeah. Shakespeare's always writing on one line. So yeah. Oh, I, think, I, love that. I think that's kind of the beauty. And that's probably what I'd want to know. Which one would you do? If he could only choose one to do over and mm-hmm. over again, which would it be? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> David, since we asked Nicola what her favorite play is, do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? Hmm. God. Um <laughs> I might I might lean towards King Lear. Oh, okay. Um that that one is pretty fascinating. Um but it's also one that I don't have any great desire to <laughs> to produce or direct necessarily. I just I just really do love that play. Yeah. And I think if yeah, if there's ever a production of it, I, I, I would always try and try and cap catch that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's it's it the themes and the uh, it's just it's it's got a lot going for it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Very solid. Well, that's all we've got. Um, Did you guys have any questions for us or were there any final remarks you wanted to make? Uh, Nicola, was there anything you wanted to cap off with? Uh, No, I just think um, we're so excited to um, relaunch the two shows that were supposed to be done this year. And Mm -hmm. we're excited to bring, bring them to life in the amphitheater for 2021. So, and thank you for having us, having us on this. It's been amazing. It was our pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I, I, I've really enjoyed listening to your to your podcast. Thank you. Um, and uh, so I hope when we're back, you come and yeah. come and say hi. Oh, for sure. To us. And uh, it's been nice to chat about this and get me out of my own basement. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, this was an absolute pleasure for us. And and like I said, we've been fans for a long time. So as soon as we drew up our list of episodes, we when we got to this, we're like, well, we have to talk to someone from Free Will Shakespeare. So <laughs> you guys have been on our list for three years now. We're, we're just so thrilled that you agreed to talk to us today. And, and uh, we really do wish you all the best um, with this upcoming festival and hope that everything turns out better than anybody could have expected. And I, I think knowing the caliber of performances that you put on routinely that um, whatever comes of this, it will be a a truly magical festival. So we're really looking forward to that and all the best. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Thanks so much. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com.
That's our cue to exit.